You've heard of BetaShares. You've probably seen the logo on our podcast. You might even be among their 1 million investors. So you can imagine that I'm delighted to say BetaShares is the official ETF partner of the Australian Finance Podcast. With nearly 100 exchange-traded funds, you can go to betashares.com.au and immerse yourself in ETFs and unique insights covering all of the sectors, themes, core and satellite positions you could want. Think cybersecurity through the Hack ETF, robotics and AI with the RBTZ ETF, and uranium with the URNM ETF. The list goes on. To explore the BetaShares ETF range, visit betashares.com.au, read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website, and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. Is there a Spotify wrapped for investing? If you want to invest in shares or ETFs, our friends at Perla are more than one step ahead of the curve. On average, people who use Perla invest $1,750 every month. That's what we want to see, proper dollar cost averaging. With automated investing tools making your life simple, Perla investors have well and truly mastered the art of investing small bits lots of times. So if you're ready to start growing your net worth in 2024, follow the link in your Spotify or Apple podcast player right now to discover how you can get started today. Welcome to the Australian Finance Podcast. I'm Kate Campbell. And I'm Owen Rusk. And we're here to give you the tools and knowledge to invest both your time and money better. If you're new, feel free to jump in with our Starter Pack series that aired in early 2022 or our Shares or ETF mini series. We've got plenty to share with you in today's episode, but if you want to catch us on socials, head to Rusk Australia on Insta and Twitter. I'm also found at Kate Campbell AUS on Insta. And I'm Owen Rusk AU on Insta. Just beware of the fake accounts. We'll never DM you about trading strategies or crypto. And if it sounds a bit weird, it's probably not us. And just one final heads up before we get into the show. This podcast contains general financial information only. Alex, welcome back to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast. Hey, Owen. How are you? Good to be here. Good to be here and answering questions as usual. So... Um, it's always good to get a qualified financial advisor on the podcast and just talk through investing, budgeting, cash flow, super, whatever the case may be. We've got a few questions about property and different bank accounts, offsets today. Uh, if you do want to ask a, a question to Alex, obviously you can head to the Everest Wealth website or you can um, just send your questions in. There's a link in your podcast player that says, ask a question, just select the Australian Finance Podcast. And Alex and I are going to try and do these regularly. So, uh, and we are doing them regularly already. So please send in your questions and I'll match the questions to the right expert, such as Alex today, who's a qualified advisor. Uh, Alex has appeared on the show before. So uh, please go back in your catalog and look for Q&A episodes in the past if you want more of this after you've finished listening. Mate, um, you know, the last few years have been a bit bumpy, uh, in terms of investors, you know, property investors, people, even just cost of living. We have had lockdowns around the country. You know, it's been a pretty bumpy few years, but I'm curious how the last year has been for Everest in particular. Like everyone knows now on the show that you provide financial advice to people right around Australia. But has business been good? Have you been seeing more clients? Like how are things? Yeah, I, I think like you said, it's been a pretty interesting sort of two years for for markets both in you know um stocks and and property and just you know obviously a few geopolitical events obviously happened over the last sort of 24 months as well which is which has impacted things too we've had 
you know, a bit of a cost of living um, crisis going on as well. Property was down. Now it's back up in a big way. Um, you know, stocks were smashed at the start of the year. Now they're back. Um, bit of everything. Um, our year, largely, I guess uh, internally though here at Everest has been been pretty good. Um, we've been able to yeah kick some pretty decent goals and and help a lot of clients, which is which is really important to us because yeah one of our our main sort of, I guess, missions of starting this business is is trying to, to basically educate people and yeah, and just help as many um, you know mm. Australians that we can get some financial advice and get on the path to to creating wealth ultimately. It's mm. great, mate. Um, you guys run a tight ship, uh, and you've got a good team around you, so it's great. Uh, if if you are listening to this and you do want to speak to a financial advisor, you can hit the link in your show notes that says if you're on Spotify, if you're in. Apple Podcasts, wherever you are, maybe not if you're driving. Um, so <laughs> don't just click this button. But yeah, there's a link in your podcast player as well. It says uh, financial planning. You can click on that and go through an online form. Uh, Alex and his team at Everest primarily work with people pre-retirement. Um, but rest assured, if you click that financial planning button, there are retirement specialists in there as well. Um, not to say that Alex can't help you with that, but uh Bread and butter are singles yeah. and couples, right? Yeah, accumulators pretty much is, is basically who we um yeah predominantly help. So yeah, sort of that twenty five to fifty range is the main space that we that we typically play in. Cool, like it. So we've got a lot of questions today. Obviously, when you send in your question, you can give us a funny name. So we do have a few funny question, a few funny question and names. Um, the one of the reasons that we also do that is so that we can say we simply don't know your personal circumstances because we don't even know who you are. Um, when you send in a funny name, like you can do it anonymously, which is what we want you to do. Because in Australia, we can only give general financial advice or general financial information is how I like to think about it, because we don't know your needs, goals, or objectives. If you want advice that is tailored to your situation, you will need to speak with a financial planner, like say Alex here, uh, and they sit down with you, go through your risk profile, ask you a bunch of questions, and help you design a strategy that is right for your goals, your objectives, your needs. Furthermore, one final warning, if we do talk about things like ETFs or insurance or super funds or bank accounts, always make sure that you read the documentation that's available on the issuer's website, so like a bank website or insurer's website. And many of those things that I just mentioned have a PDS, product disclosure statement. That answers 90% of the questions about what the thing is before you invest in it or use it like insurance. Um, sometimes there are other things attached to those documents, but um, you'll find all of that available on their website. Now that we've got the warnings out of the way, I love these questions, but the first one is actually a piece of feedback and it comes from Casey, who talked about, who says, a deep dive into the best ways to bring your taxable income down, smiley face. So just a bit of feedback, you can actually use the form to do that as well, so you can give us feedback. And I think this is a good way to, um, good way to give us feedback and it's something that we always think about. Um, Alex, have you heard the joke uh, that you're at, a, you're at a, an accounting conference and someone on stage says, who here wants to pay more tax? And uh, nearly everyone just looks around and goes, what? Pay more tax? But one person stands up and says, well, I do because it means I'm earning more. Um, now, there are ways we can mitigate uh, tax, but at the end of the day, we pay more tax because we earn more, right? That's right. And um, I must admit, I've never used that joke Um However, I do often use the line, you know, if, you, if you're paying tax, it's a good thing because it does mean that you're making money um, yeah. as an example as well. However, you do obviously ultimately want to pay your, your fair share and only your, uh, your fair share when it, when it comes to these things. And obviously, yeah, we have a, um, a progressive tax system. So ultimately, yeah, sort of the more you earn, the more you will, you will typically pay. Now, in terms of, I guess, 
ways that you can get that down. Um, being a, uh, an employee or a salary and wage earner, it is limited, I guess, to mm. a degree. Um, you know, things that you can claim are obviously work expenses, which relate to your employment or in terms of how you sort of make money. So um, if you do have a year that maybe you're getting a larger bonus or something like that, and you, you know, you're thinking about, I'm going to need to upgrade my laptop for work, or um, I need to purchase this piece of equipment for something or have this expense to effectively further my ability to uh, to generate re revenue and, and make money, then maybe you bring bring that forward into that financial year as a just again, a sort of broad-based example. Mm. Extra super contributions um, are yeah. a great way to sort of reduce your taxable income. But again, depending what sort of stage of life that you're in as well, um, you know, so if you are, say, in your 20s or 30s as an example, remember that you are then ultimately locking up that money for sort of 30 years plus too. Um, but, you know, and we have also uh, a few extra things you can do now within that system in terms of catch-up concessional contributions as well, which means like, again, hypothetically, say, for example, you have a large capital gain in a property um, in, in a financial year, which then obviously you'll need to pay tax on as a result. You could potentially use some unused concessional contributions um, from pre previous years to now bring forward to, again, reduce that taxable income. But as I sort of mentioned, the catch-22 of that is then you are potentially locking that up for a period of time um, in a different account that you theoretically can't touch as well. So work expenses, super contributions um, are two sort of, yeah, easy things that a salary and wage earner can do to sort of help bring that down. Mm. You could um, you could think about putting more money into super as you approach retirement, like 10 or 20 years out. Maybe if you're 20, it's not something everyone's thinking about. But, you know, the other thing, if like, if we step outside of just the wage earner example, PAYG, uh, maybe if you run a business, you're a, uh, a tradie, maybe you're operating as a sole trader, which in which case that combines into your regular individual income tax return. So what you could maybe look at doing is speaking to your accountant about using a company structure if you start to earn pretty good money. And that may have other benefits. The money doesn't flow directly to you. So there is potentially an additional layer of tax, um, but there are certain incentives in Australia for that. If you're a long-term investor, you also get a capital gains discount, so you can avoid over-trading um, for a profit. If you trade and you say you make a profit in the next two months, um, you'll pay the full amount of tax on that gain. Um, so you can hold for a year and there's a discount that applies to so only half of it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think the important thing here is fundamentally to think about is that it's thinking about investing or generating the revenue first, not yeah. just worrying about the the tax implication. Because as I said, at the end of the day, mm -hmm. if you're paying tax, you're making money. So, um, you know, it's the classic example where, yeah, maybe the self-employed person is, you know, I'm going to go and buy this $10,000 laptop when really a $5,000 laptop would do the job, but they buy the $10,000 one because they're getting the tax deduction per se, okay? Mm. Whilst that is giving you a discount in theory, you know, on that um, purchase price because it is it is tax deductible in this example, you are still spending more money than you need to. Yeah, that's the thing. I love that when uh, some of my mates who are tradies, they come to me and they're like, I'm just going to buy this brand new yeah. Hilux or whatever because X, Y, Z. And I'm like, yeah, but you're still spending the money. So it doesn't actually make any sense at all. But that's that's just human nature, and particularly around money, we we buy emotionally and justify logically. So <laughs> I just want one is probably the best answer for a brand new Hilux, um, because from a tax perspective, if you've got a perfectly good working condition car, 
it makes probably no sense um, to actually, spend um, more. Yeah, that's right. I had a client the other day, exact same thing. And I was being a bit cheeky. He um, worked in medical sales, so he had to you know, drive around and stuff like that. And um, he just finished paying off a, a car loan um, mm. on, I can't remember what it was, but some, some decent four-wheel drive or something like that. And before he'd come to see us, he'd just now purchased another one on a car loan. And he's sitting there telling me, you know, well, I needed to get the the Wild Track Ranger because, you know, I need a reliable car. This is a guy that drives around the city, basically, right? Um, and I'm like, so you need a top of the line, you know, Ute with articulating wheels and stuff like that in the event of what? Like, you know, <laughs> in case there's suddenly like the, the roads are completely changed and you have to go through the bush or something like that to get to the CBD. And he's like, yeah, yeah, you know what? I actually... I just wanted it. That's what he said in the end. <laughs> Which is like, it's fine. Yeah, it's all, and he can afford it. And it, it, you know, there's no issue there. But that you said is just, that's just, you know, that, let's be honest about it. You just like that car and that's what you wanted. So that's what yeah. you got. Yeah, I love it. Um, that's, uh, and it's, it's a great car, by the way. So mm. good on him. Um, yeah, so there are plenty of ways we can do that, Casey. Um, the more complexity means the more opportunity for a lot of people in the sense of if you have different, family trusts uh you have different investment names or you invest through your partner's name or whatever the case may be um there are opportunities that come with that but it also comes with a big uh, ugly stop sign that says more complexity like you just want to be very careful before you get in that part there's something beautiful about a simple income uh maybe with an investment portfolio off to the side the little big fella writes in and says, hey, guys, this was an interesting one, by the way, Alex, and I know we were both kind of a bit stumped by this, but the little big fella writes in and says, hey, guys, looking to buy my first house slash unit to live in because I despise the instability of renting, don't we all, and moving around and want to be out of the rental market for good. What do you make of the government 30 slash 40% help to buy scheme? I'm in my late 20s and not on a big wicket, so I'm looking for whatever scheme I can benefit from the most. Love listening to your dulcet tones while I keep work. Well, while I work, keep it up. There we go. Um, well, thank you for that. Very complimentary question. Um, and it did intrigue us a little bit. So um, maybe, Alex, I'll throw to you because you did a little bit of uh, background on this just before we hit record. What is yeah, it? yeah. So um, effectively, this is something that the federal government announced, um, sort of early 2022, that they were going to create a scheme to effectively make it more accessible for um, first-time buyers to get into the market. So it looks like uh, ultimately you can um, you only need like a two percent deposit, uh, and basically what the government does, however, is they take on an established house, they take 30% ownership um, in that house mm. now. The criteria um, around the whole thing is is broadish, and as far as I can tell from my sort of brief research, it hasn't actually started yet. So it was it was mm -hmm. predicted to have started um, at the start of this year, but it still doesn't look like it's technically um, up and going as part of that. Other sort of bits of criteria to think about is yeah, you can only earn up to a certain amount of money to be. Um, eligible for this. You can only buy properties up to a certain amount as well, depending on the state and whether it's in um, the city or um, regional as well as part of that as well. Um, but yeah, ultimately, I guess the, the idea of this is that the government is, is looking to give first home buyers a bit of a helping hand to effectively get some um, mm. get, get their foot into uh, a property ultimately. I was just clicking around because there are so many different schemes that we're talking about. And what makes this one interesting is it is a federal scheme so it's for a whole of australia whereas 
there are so many individual schemes for each state. Um, and a good mortgage broker will be the best point of call. When I say a good one, I actually mean a good one. <laughs> um, there are plenty that aren't that good. No offense to some that aren't that good. They're just not interested in doing the more complex things and helping uh, people with different circumstances. But there are some really good mortgage brokers around and they will know um, the area, the state inside out and help you navigate what is the schemes that are working. Because even if the government, like you said, Alex, does propose something, it can be years before it's in. And then once it's in, it can be a watered down version or a more complicated version. And then even if it gets in, some of the banks may not offer it. Like I know with the um, first home buyer scheme, which was like the 5% deposit or something like this, there was so many different ones. With the, that one, I remember I was going to use that for my first home. And then I realized the suburb where I wanted to buy, it was capped at 600,000 just for that suburb. Yeah, right. Yeah. And then I was like, but the average house is like 650, 700. So I was like, well, I don't think I can use that. Um, and then even when I spoke to my mortgage broker, they're like, oh, you know, all the slots are gone. Yeah, because they only release a certain number in that example of scheme per year or something like that, like 10,000 or something like that are available. And yeah. that's it. It's first in, first served. Um, yeah. I think with this one, again, I'm happy to be corrected if I'm wrong, in that you actually don't go through the bank for this proposed scheme, as in the government, um, I right. think, ultimately lends you the money. Um, so we've got something, there's something similar in Western Australia called Keystart. It's not quite the same, but it's, it is similar. Like you only need a 2% deposit as an example. There's limits on how much you can earn, limits on how much the property can cost and things like that as well. But it's, yeah, it's relatively similar in that the, um, the state government effectively lends you that money um, through their own yeah, lending machine. It's typically at a higher interest rate than what you can get from the banks as well. Um, <laughs> however, it is a good way to, again, potentially get into the market um, where it obviously works perfectly in theory is, yeah, you don't have the deposit, uh, well, you, you, so you, you get yourself the 2%, you get in, and then, yeah, you get some equity in that property in the future, which then allows you to refinance then to a, a standard bank, which obviously gets you a much more competitive interest rate. But mm -hmm. I think, as you mentioned as well, like you really just got to speak to a, a mortgage broker that really understands all the schemes in the different states and the federal, because yeah, there's lots out there and it is different state by state and then there's federal ones as well. Um, so there's a lot of yeah, a lot of moving parts to these types of things typically. And some of them, I know like the 5% deposit scheme, some of them might sound great in theory, but they're not always the best because, for example, if you have a couple that maybe to, to get just got together, you know, a couple of years ago, but one of them had a house before that, that can actually void your ability to use that scheme. Yep. So you want to make sure that you do speak to someone who knows the appropriate scheme and understands the nuance in your situation. Uh, and definitely mortgage brokers, a good mortgage broker can fill that gap in your life. Whereas say if you get advice from an accountant, they may understand the tax implications or be able to interpret what's on the ATO website, but they may not necessarily A, be able to help you deal with the banks and B, um, identify the right one for you uh, if they're not doing it every day. Um, it's also, I would say that um, there's the first home super savers scheme, Alex. Yeah, if um, I was just going to jump in on that one. So if you mentioned before that you know if you've got a couple that have got together and then they're looking to try to use some of these schemes, but potentially one person in the partnership has already bought a house, which often then makes the other person ineligible. The first home super saver scheme in that example actually doesn't. So if one partner has bought a house before, that actually doesn't affect um, the other person oh, in that partnership. So again, it just comes back to like they're all they're all different, and there's a lot of sort of moving parts there. So 
you do really need to do your research and um, yeah, make sure you speak to a, a really good professional that understands how all these things can fit together. Because as you correctly said as well, a lot of the time when you get into these things in terms of the detail, they don't fit your situation or they're not going to actually make you that much better yeah. off or they limit, you know, where you can buy. Um, so again, yeah, you've really just got to speak to someone that really understands all these things and your own personal situation as well. Last time you were on the show, maybe it was the first time, um, you mentioned how some, like a lot of your clients are those younger clients that are a bit more budget conscious in terms of how much they pay their financial advisor. And you said sometimes the fee's four grand and a big chunk of that can be taken from super if there's superannuation advice. Based on that, could someone say, come see you, get the full gamut of advice, pay a you know, respectable fee, they still have to pay you, you're professional, but then you help them navigate the first home super service scheme? Yeah, and we actually do that a lot. That's um, what I was going to say. Yeah, a lot yeah, of people so. would because it gets pretty, like that scheme can be pretty scary for a lot of people that aren't finance people because they look at it and they're like, what do you mean I got to put money in super? Then I have to be careful about when I use it and how much I get out and what time. Like I feel like that needs a professional. Yeah, yeah, and, and right now um, they are looking to make some more changes to it, I believe, from um, what I heard the other day, um, in terms of when you actually action that as well. So you've got to be really careful that you can't actually technically put an offer on a property before you've actually got what's um, called your determination, which effectively then allows you access to the first home super service scheme. So the timing of that is really important yeah. as well, and a lot of people can trip themselves up on that. Uh, and like you said, it's just... It's simple in, in theory, but then when you get into the detail, it can become incredibly confusing. And then you apply your own situation on top of that as well and how, all, yeah, basically all those things fit together. But yeah, it is something that we, we use a lot with our clients and do help them as well, make sure they get their determination done correctly and get their money back out the other side as well. Yeah, I'm going to just quickly, um, one more is like uh, industry, if you work in particular industries, uh, say like the medical profession, accounting, law, a lot of blue, uh, white collar jobs uh, because your income is seen as more certain. Um, some lenders actually give you more borrowing capacity just on the same amount of income as someone else. And you often don't have to have to pay the LMI that lenders mortgage insurance. So that's another cost for folks. And then there's like first home buyer schemes where you don't have to pay all the stamp duty if you purchase under a certain amount. I know that it's kind of like an artificial rule that because as soon as they bring it in the the average price of the house goes up. But maybe um, just on that first home super saving, because I actually am a fan of it if people get advice, because I think putting money into super and knowing the rules is risky. So a lot of people would hear it and be like, oh, I'll put money in super. There's an assumed rate. Uh, and then I can pull it out because that's a question we get a lot. So get advice if you're going to do that, like speak to someone, say like Alex here. Um, the other thing would be know what property you're going to buy, like what is the value of that property, because that will help you determine if you are eligible to those first home buyer schemes. And then finally, reach out to a good mortgage broker if your advisor doesn't direct you there uh, and just see what your lending options are because there are schemes that are available for a certain number of places at a certain number of banks and they can help you navigate. There's always this weird thing. I remember speaking with Chris, my mortgage broker. He was always like, um, yeah, apparently if you put your, he's like, if you put your um, loan application in at the beginning of the month, it's a high probability you'll get it accepted because everyone that does the loans has a KPI for that month. So they like to get it out in the first few days and at the end of the month they cruise, but they don't have as much capacity to lend. And I was like, just things like that is just like odd. Um, anyway, mate, the next question comes from Mr. Curious who asks, hi guys, I'd love to hear about the features of each broking firm. Uh, i.e. Comsec, Perla, etc. Full disclosure, Perla is a very long-term sponsor of the Australian Finance Podcast. Um, 
So that's that. Just keep that in mind. Uh, we also know the guys very well now as a result. And then the question goes on, just so I can make a decision or know about differences between each, good and bad points or comparison of each. So Mr. Curious, it's really important that um, you do a bit of your own research here because Alex and I simply would not have enough time, even in an hour, to go through all of the fees and all of the the different terms and conditions and tell you exactly of all the brokers because there are, even though you probably only think there's like five or six, there are like a hundred um, that you probably never even heard of or never will go with. But um, if we can just talk generally around this, Alex. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think, yeah, some of the, I guess, the things to sort of think about, and again, you do need to sort of tailor this to your own situation is obviously, yeah, the brokerage that they, that they charge. So we have seen in the last yeah, three, four years, I think um, brokerage come down a fair bit. Um, and obviously a few more platforms come to market has sort of um, helped that as well. So that can be um, an important thing to consider, particularly if, mm. if, you know, if you're not investing sort of large chunks at a time. Um, so if you are doing more, you know, say five grand or a grand here or there's something like that, like if the brokerage fee is $20 versus 10 on say that $1,000, it is actually going to have a bit of a material impact that that cost. Um, whereas if it's, you know, if it's a hundred grand, if it's 10 bucks or 20 bucks, it really makes no real difference. Um, so yeah. that's, that's an important thing to consider. Um, whether you want to auto invest feature is sometimes something that we talk to clients about as well. So if it is, mm -hmm. if it's sort imagine. of a set and forget sort of strategy, um, it's probably important then, you know, that you go with the, the broker, which um, allows, yeah, basically that to be set up. So your money comes in and then it buys what you've sort of told it to on a weekly, fortnightly, monthly um, sort of basis. Those, that's a really good thing. We were talking about um, chess-sponsored versus not chess-sponsored. Chess so it's making sure you have a bit of an understanding of that and the, the pros and cons of that. Typically, a, a chess-sponsored um, brokerage firm is going to have a higher minimum that you can invest. So it's normally around 500 bucks. And typically, they will also charge a brokerage fee, okay, because their their costs mm -hmm. internally are going to be higher as a result. But that does potentially give you some additional security as well um, in terms of, you know, that, that holding and where it's recorded and stuff like that too versus a custodial agreement, which would be um, – so the Vanguard platform would be an example of a custodial agreement and basically anyone's super fun other than self-managers effectively a, a custodial agreement as well. Um, so – and look, you know, there's – potentially a little bit more risk there in theory, um, potentially not. Again, do your own due diligence, but often you'll find with the custodial platforms, they will offer a much lower brokerage amount, um, sometimes mm -hmm. free um, on ETFs as well. Always be very careful if it is free, uh, making sure that you know like where they're making their money in the background <laughs> as yeah. well. Um, yeah. That's something to consider. And I think like you and I talked about, just usability. So um, like a, a lot of these accounts are free to set up. So there's nothing wrong with going and setting them all up, having a bit of a click around and and seeing what you like and stuff like that. Like there's going to be a, a very big difference from a, um, say a Comsec to a to a superhero typically um, in terms of, you know, what you sort of get on mm -hmm. the dashboard and yeah, all those sorts of things. I think, yeah, it, it's, in, it's important to, to consider. Yeah, I like all that. So just for people's benefit that don't know what chess sponsor means, basically it means that you have an individual number applied against your shares to your name or your holding company, for example, however you choose to invest. And so basically, if the broker goes down, there's a direct line of sight to your individual holding. The only difference between the custodial model and the chess model is in the chess model, every investment you make has that number. Whereas in a custodial model, the broker itself has a chess number, like it's got a holder 
identification number, but then within its own database, it assigns who's actually owning those shares. And you can still transfer in and out of all the different types. So you say, for example, you want to join a new broker uh, and you've got five ETFs already. You can do what's called an in-specie transfer and you can transfer your assets in. It is much easier or it's easier with a chess sponsored or HIN because effectively it's it's so much easier. Basically, you don't even need to change it half the time. You can just appoint the new broker as your platform. Um, the benefit of that is you don't have to pay capital gains tax on the way in or out as long as you do it correctly. Um, now, that all that said, obviously we have worked with Perla for a long time, one of the fastest growing. Um, the reason that we've chosen to work with Perla over the years is because they're extremely long-term focused. So everything on the platform is long-term. I remember speaking at an event back before we worked with them. And I remember I never met the people who built Perla. They invited me to speak at an event, which was lovely. And um, I was like, whoever put the 10-year chart on the stock pages is like my hero. Because like whenever <laughs> you go into a brokerage account, you know this, Alex, whenever you go in, it looks like a cockpit. There's red and green numbers flashing at you. And that's because all of them are trying to get you to, you know, stop or go, you know, buy or sell. They want you to do something. They're trying to activate your monkey brain, which we know time and time again is absolutely horrendous for our long-term decision-making. So Pearl and Vanguard, to their credit, kind of got rid of all that sort of widgets and stuff and all that crap you don't need. And uh, Pearl then default set the charts on their website to 10-year share price charts as opposed to like minute-by-minute minute charts. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, really good. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so it kind of shows you the long-term effect of compounding. But Pearl does the automation. So does Sharesies. They do a similar automation. Um, Superhero are, does as well. Superhero does. Um I feel like Stake won't be that far away from doing it. Uh, in our community, in the RAS community, the three most popular brokers, probably by design, are uh, uh, Comsec, which is the biggest. They're the biggest in Australia. Uh, I think it was Selfwealth second or Perla, one of those two. CMC Markets often gets a pretty high uh, rating there because they're so big now. I think they're the yep. second. And they, and they offer, like you said before, I think um, under a thousand bucks. It's a it's a free trade once a month yeah. or something like that, I think. I think it's once a day. We should know this. But oh, we it's just, once a day. Okay. Yeah. So Alex and I are just going off um, just some current working knowledge. We don't know exactly. So read the PDS or terms and conditions. Uh, other thing if I can add in there though as well, which I sort of should have said before is um, now this is getting a little bit more niche, but not every broker will allow a certain structure. So what I'm talking about yeah. that is say if you have a trust and you have a corporate trustee, some brokers won't allow a corporate trustee. They'll only allow individual. And some brokers, for example, um, won't allow individual. They'll only allow a corporate trustee. So hmm. it's important. And then, and likewise as well, like, you know, if you and I wanted to start a joint account together, not every broker will allow that necessarily either. So it's important to, um, yeah, if you are doing something mm -hmm. other than just starting an account for yourself in your own personal name, just make sure um, that the one that you're potentially going to go with actually allows that that different structure too. It's so important because a lot of people like myself, we have companies or businesses and your businesses can actually invest. So having a platform for your business to actually invest or your self-managed super fund for that uh, matter is really important. So you can check all that out on their websites, typically on their FAQ page or something like that or on their onboarding form. They'll say what kind of structure is it. Um, that, yeah, that, um, that, it, it, those, that and the automation features are probably like the two most important things. Like, how does it kind of feel and how does it make my life easy? Like I don't log into my brokerage because it's all automatic. Um, 
I actually don't use my brokerage for anything other than if I have to manually place a trade. And so I probably log in like once every few months uh, because all the automation in the background is happening for me, which is the way I love investing. All yeah. right. Yeah. So we've got a couple more questions here, mate. We, um, we've we got two, which I might bundle together. Uh, the questioner name is how much for cash, question mark, which is a bit cheeky, uh, and Mr. T. So how much for cash says, why would I bother investing in a cash ETF rather than directly investing with a bank, like a term deposit? It seems that term deposits offer a much better return and security. So that's the first question. The second question is, just wondering if you see a mortgage offset or redraw facility as a place to build your emergency fund, question mark. My wife and I have a mortgage and we are using our mortgage as our joint emergency fund and our personal savings accounts as our personal emergency funds. So basically, Alex, the question is what to do with cash? Yeah, so in terms of the the first one, I might take them, I might actually separate them if that's okay. all right slightly, yeah, only because I think we can answer them relatively quickly. So the first one, that is a really good point. So these cash ETFs have become a lot more popular over the last couple of years, obviously given now the interest rates are, are rising as well, you can now get a little bit of a return out of them as a result. Yeah. I think the, the two key reasons why you would potentially use a cash ETF over, say, a term deposit with a bank um, is liquidity so what i'm talking about there is it can be bought and sold very very quickly whereas often if you enter a term deposit arrangement with a bank it'll have a set time period of whatever that is 30 days 90 a year whatever sort of it is um so it's effectively tied up until that um until that maturity whereas a cash etf uh, can be bought and sold you know that day held for three months and then sold whatever you sort of want to do there and the other i guess potential advantage to a degree with a cash etf is you don't then have to set up that account with a, you know, would go set up with ANZ or something like that, go through the process of setting the whole thing up. If you've already mm -hmm. got a brokerage account, you can buy that ETF sort of right then, um, right then and there. And I guess the other thing which we often see, say, not so much with term deposits, but with like a high interest saver that a lot of the banks offer, often you have to do a lot of extra things to get that bonus interest as well. So, you know, make four transactions during the month or, add yeah. at least two thousand dollars or do a backflip or whatever it sort of is with these things half the time uh, whereas with the with a typical cash yeah etf um, which effectively is just investing in term deposits with the majors there's no sort of additional things or criteria you have to sort of satisfy to to get your interest i should just add in there that's a good summary i should add in there that a cash etf like the most popular one in australia is the beta shares triple a ETF, it's just the ticker symbol in your brokerage account is AAA. All that the ETF does is it goes and gets a deal with one of the banks or a few of the banks to put the, the collective pool of people's money in there. Another reason why people tend to use it is for like um, security of their money. And so by that, I mean, it's not a big risk, let's be honest, but in Australia, up to $250,000 per ADI or deposit taking institution um, is covered under the government guarantee. So people with a big balance often think, well, I'll spread some of my money around to other things. And so oftentimes they use a cash ETF. Um, now that doesn't, that's not protected either, by the way, but you get the idea. Um, one final thing is a lot of brokerage accounts, people still haven't worked this out. A lot of brokerage accounts don't pay interest. So, <laughs> so for example, if, if you have a brokerage account, go and check if you're getting interest. Like Google brokerage account name, Am I getting interest? Um, and a lot of them you'll find are paying 
very low interest and some of them are paying none at all. And the thing is, if you've got a hundred grand in your brokerage account in cash ready to invest, they're earning interest. So they're earning the 5% that you could currently get if you switched into something else. So a lot of people just use the cash ETFs as a way to store the money that would be in their brokerage account until they're ready to invest and they just sell some and buy the investment. So go and check that seriously, people. It's like a free kick. Second question, Alex. Second question. Um, right. So difference between sort of, yeah, read your own offset. So, well, firstly, I guess to answer the question, I do think it's a great way to where you should store your emergency fund. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah. The reason um, for that is, yeah, it's effectively just cash in a, in a bank account, right? It's in the offset example. So it's right there. You can get it um, straight away, which is what, obviously what you want ultimately uh, yeah, in an emergency. I'm a bigger fan of the offset option versus the redraw. Same. Um, same as you, yeah, because I believe in the T's and C's, if you do read the mortgage docs and everything like that, which you obviously should, the bank technically can take that redraw um, if they if they want it. Now, it's very, very unlikely that they do that and it's very uncommon, but there is technically a small risk there. So imagine having 50 grand in redraw and that was your emergency fund and then a car broke down or the dog needed surgery or something like that. And ironically, the bank just decided to to call that in that day and then you don't have access or, or liquidity anymore to those funds. Yeah. Where interest rates are at right now, because generally you are charged like a um, uh, an additional fee if you have an offset account with most banks, sort of around about 300 to 500 bucks. Because of where interest rates are at now in terms of the amount of money you need to hold to effectively recoup that fee, it's come down a fair bit. So if you are sort of holding you know, rough numbers, broadly sort of seven grand minimum, um, you are already going to be offsetting that fee as well. So anything above that, then you are kind of, I guess, in, in front um, in theory. But yeah, I really like the offset uh, example to hold funds. Also as well, just the flexibility from a tax perspective, which we don't really have too much time to get into here. But if you are putting money into redraw, um, so, so, so say you've got a property that you that is not going to be your, your forever home or anything like that, and you're going to turn it into an investment property into the future, having that money in offset means that when you do move out of there, turn that into an investment, buy a new house, the full loan that's left remaining on that property becomes tax deductible. Whereas if you say have a $400,000 loan, but you've pumped 200 into redraw, redraw that money then back out so the loan then returns to 400,000 because you want you need to use that 200 grand for the new house that you're going to live in only half of that loan the interest would be tax deductible in that example because you've effectively already paid it back so again, ah really yeah so that's getting a little bit more intricate but bottom line is the the offset if you're going to hold sort of 7 grand plus then it's potentially worthwhile um, having one because um, it just allows more flexibility yeah, going forward, depending on what you decide to do. I didn't know that. That's pretty, pretty neat. I've always just used an offset account because it's so much more flexible. I didn't, yeah, I didn't think about that side of things. I love multiple offset accounts as well, which not yeah. every bank sort of offers. And it obviously depends how much cash you're going to hold and stuff like that. But the advantage of multiple offset accounts is, you know, you might have a holiday fund, your, you know, your emergency fund, and the, and the, and then in this example, it sounds like um, Mr. T and his wife like to have their own separate additional emergency funds as well, so they could have those accounts being offset as well. Um, so just, again, just gives you a bit more flexibility to your structure. Yeah, we're with Bank of Melbourne, which is just a division of Westpac. Don't, it's not a recommendation by any stretch of the imagination. So uh, don't take that as an endorsement. Um, but um, we get 99 offset accounts I've mentioned on the show before, and we have no savings accounts. And I am perfectly 110% happy with that. I'd be happy if 
they never offered us a savings account again in our lives and we just had offset accounts for as long as we have a mortgage because it is so much better from a tax perspective, from a returns perspective. Um, if you haven't yeah. already done the math, so you should go and check out like the after-tax calculation on an offset account. And basically, like I know you know this, mate, but heaps of the RAS community, I'd say like over 50%, just as a guess, um, already know this that have a mortgage like they're already using the offset accounts over their term deposits and their savings accounts and it makes so much more sense yeah. absolutely um unfortunately there's not that many banks to my knowledge that do it but again speak to your mortgage broker yeah. um yeah by no means an endorsement either but I'm, I'm with the i'm with commonwealth um and they they allow it which is again uh i think they think it's in theory unlimited i run about yeah 15 or so myself um yeah yeah, it should be. The more banks should just offer it by default. I reckon we've got time for probably two, maybe three more questions. But can we take this one from Katrin, who writes in to say, to say, where to look for an affordable financial advisor who can give tailored advice for people, particularly women in their 40s and 50s with a low income? Alex? Yeah, it seems like this one's been tailored at me, doesn't it? So, <laughs> um, <laughs> right. So, turns out you are Katrin. Yeah. <laughs> We we actually do um, yeah here at, at Everest Wealth actually have um, a higher percentage of, of female clients than we do than we do males um, interestingly enough so um, it seems a lot more single females will seek advice than single males uh, yeah. for whatever sort of reason so um, which is which is great so but in terms of I guess yeah options and stuff like that as well I mean the main thing I would sort of recommend to anyone there is potentially yeah, get out and, and basically yeah, do some Googling, speak to some friends. Because um, often a lot of financial advice firms will will, will um, offer a you know 15-minute sort of intro call. So mm-hmm. we do as an example, and the reason that we effectively do that is sort of to, I guess, an- answer any initial questions that you have, but also sort of run you through like our process, you know, how we charge, what our typical sort of fees are. So again, people have like a, a pretty good idea of, you know, if they did sort of want to go ahead, you know, what they're up for, what they're getting, the process, um, all those sorts of things. In terms of affordability, that's obviously quite an ambiguous sort of term. Um, financial advice, um, you know, is a very comprehensive process. There's a lot of boxes that we have to tick. We really need to get to know your own personal situation. We need to consider effectively as many things as we possibly can um, as well. So it's not a cheap exercise per se, um, but it is an exercise that you can get a lot of value out of as well. But Mm -hmm. that comes back to, again, value is an ambiguous term as well, right? So that's where speaking to a few different firms, getting a feel for what they do and how they can help you and stuff like that will really help, I think, with that clarity. Um, but there's but there's plenty of places out there that which would be able to help Catrian. Um, mm. And you don't necessarily need to have an ongoing relationship with the advisor either. So, um, again, that's, really, that's a really good point. Us. So like, yeah, yeah, so we, you know, we offer a lot of one-off advice to people. So you want to get your fundamentals in place, you want to get a plan set up, but then you want to sort of carry on with it from there. And that's perfectly fine as well. We don't need to, you know, charge you an ongoing fee or anything like that. Um, but a lot of financial planning firms will want to charge you an ongoing fee because that's where they make a lot of their money. Yeah. So traditionally, um, an advice firm to sort of become a client is also implied that you become an ongoing client. We are different in that perspective. Again, I don't want to speak for everyone in else in terms of, I guess, what we offer at. And our business is that, yeah, we do offer a, a one-off option as well. We do have ongoing clients too, but it's, it's by no means um, a necessity. And if you don't want it and you're not going to get value from it, then you then you don't do it. 
Yeah, that's cool. Um, Katrin, everyone that uh, works with us, so obviously Everest do, um, but everyone that works with us at RASC offers uh, that the kind of the consultation for free. And I think it's basically an industry standard now. And uh, we would encourage you to reach out, you know, if you want to reach out to Everest and Alex and his team, do it because it's just as much like you getting to know them as them getting to know you. And, you know, it's it's just a better relationship if you're all on board um, from the get-go. All right, mate, we've probably, probably got time for two more. I might ask you um, duh, 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 maybe for, oh, I like this question from Yabby Gablet. I don't know what that question and name is. It sounds pretty hilarious, but Yabby Gablet, <laughs> um, uh, I like it. Uh, so in a recent podcast, a strategy for investing mentioned was to use equity in property to invest in ETFs. Can it be confirmed that this is tax deductible? And if so, how? So what we would say, Yabby, and to everyone listening, um, is to get professional advice on this if you are in any way unsure. Um, so just so you know, what for everyone's benefit, what we talked about is we talked about uh, how if you have equity in your home, you can use that to buy other investment properties. So you can then use that and the bank says, oh, look, Alex over here, he's got a couple hundred grand in equity in his primary house. So we can use that as collateral effectively for the new house, the investment property. But a lot of people think that that's the only thing that you can do with that equity. You can do a lot. You could maybe start a business. You could um, go and invest in shares as well. But it is really important how you do this because I was chatting to someone the other night at a ladies finance club event and uh, she was saying how it kind of got all messed up and muddled. So Alex, I'm going to throw it to you. I did also ask our, our accountant friends, Jordan and Daniel, for their perspective, uh, purely from a tax perspective. So, Alex, over to you first, mate. Yeah, and I'll um, I'll just yeah echo what you said there as well. That it is really important um, when you are doing this that you do yeah seek the right sort of advice because particularly and make sure you have a mortgage broker that that know what they're doing because it can become yeah quite messy um, sometimes. But yeah, effectively, you are able to use yeah equity in a property. That's to take the example of investing yeah, in ETFs, as as um, Yabby has uh, mentioned here. So you can draw equity from a property, okay, that's sitting there, and then effectively take that. So borrow against your own property. So that's to say it's two hundred grand or something like that, and then you can go and invest that into stocks or ETFs or a business like you said as well something else and, and if the purpose of it is to be obviously revenue revenue generating or in for investment purposes then the interest that you're paying on that loan that you've pulled out in terms of that equity um, becomes yeah tax deductible so it's a really good way to effectively yeah I guess leverage up so you are taking on obviously more risk okay but compounding over time in theory that's going to make you a lot wealthier Plus, you get a effectively a discount on the interest on the way through because um, it is it is tax deductible at your at your marginal tax rate. Yeah, so it's just about using that money for an income producing investment, um, which is great because from a tax deductibility perspective, as we we're talking about earlier on, it is actually a good move. But then also um, the difference between when people build an investment portfolio of property is they often don't have enough money when they buy the new property to get positive income. So that's why they end up in that situation where they're negatively geared, right? Um, and so they don't actually get the enough income to cover their interest plus the repayments plus get a profit. Um, but with shares, you it is a bit different because oftentimes it is enough. Uh, and the reason, one of the reasons for that is you can use the tax deductible loan amount to invest in the Australian share market, which also pays something called franking credits. 
which are a tax credit basically. So you basically get a tax incentive on either side, but it's not for everyone and it's not exactly uh, low risk to use debt to buy shares. But um, I asked Jordan from Grayspace and I said, you know, what should you be looking for? And he said, if the funds are being used for investment purposes, interest would be tax deductible. The purpose of the original loan does not determine the deductibility of the interest. For further reading, taxation ruling TR 2000 slash two is the ruling. He's a super fan of that, uh, that ruling. <laughs> uh, as always, seek professional advice. That's, Red- that's a sign right there of a good accountant. If he's if he's a fan of some ATO um, legislation and he's got a few favourites, that's a sign of a good accountant. I <laughs> he said record keeping is paramount. So I said, is there like a best practice? Like should um, doesn't need to be any paperwork. Um, should they keep assets separate so that they know which investments for were with what money? And he said, as long as things are being kept separate, the transfers are documented and same as the investments. So bank statements matching to the purchase dates, or even if the money sits in the, the broker bank account or equivalent account with intent to buy. And so I said, just one final thing. So I said, so you might say to transfer the money out of the home line slash offset to a specific investment account, then maybe use a different brokerage account or simply the same one, but track everything very carefully. For example, when you transfer the $50,000, know if all of that $50,000 was used to buy those Telstra shares, for example. And he said that would be perfect. So that was my internal conversation with Jordan. Um, so we're but just trying to- really keep- helps like you, like you sort of said before, like yeah, having a, a good mortgage broker and stuff like that. So you can potentially split that loan out. So it's just really crystal clear of what's being used for what, as opposed to it all just being jumbled up as a big sort of mess. Um, yeah. yeah, for auditing purposes, it would make a lot, everyone's life a lot easier if you knew exactly which money was where. And you could say to the ATO if they ever asked, yeah, that was the money you can see it, we went here. Um, and this is why like, over the last year in particular, Alex, like, I, I know you know this, but like for everyone else's benefit, just getting more of these experts on your side is more important, particularly as your wealth builds. You don't want to, frankly, stuff around uh, when you're dealing with tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars. It might be okay if you've got 50 bucks, you just go and try investing in that crypto thing or, you know, opening this bank account or that thing. It might work. But as you get bigger, you want to get experts who are very pointy in what they know and they will help you uh, with confidence. Speaking of, you can get in contact with Alex and the team. The Everest website is linked below. Also, you can uh, check out the thing that says financial planning, mortgage broking, whatever else. There's a heap of goodies that are always attached each and every week below the video if you're on YouTube or in your podcast player, you can do that. And as always with Alex, what I do ask him is for all of our benefit, if I ask him to bring or to give us one piece of advice that he wants people to go away with from listening to this episode, we don't want you to just listen to this and be like, oh, that was a great episode of the Australian whatever podcast. You want to make sure that when you're listening, you actually can take something away just like I do. I learned something today, for example, about the redraw facilities. Um, and Alex, my question to you would be, what's one thing our listeners, including myself or us, we can do right now as a result of this episode? What would you say to us? Yeah, someone's going to be a little bit, a little bit cliche, I think. But um, you know, there's a reason I think things are cliche as well. In that, you know, obviously we're coming in towards the the very end of the year or the point into the year at, at time of recording, and potentially this is going up 2023 or start of 2024. But that holiday break, I think, is a really good opportunity just to 
give yourself half an hour, 60 minutes just to sort of reset, reflect on the, the year that you've had, but also thinking about the direction you're going in terms of your investing strategy. So it may be an instance of if you listen to this podcast a little while, um, you know, you wanted to sort of jump in, but you still haven't had quite the confidence to do that. There are so many options out there that you can just do 50 bucks a week as an example. So my mm-hmm. recommendation would there to, to start something. Someone that has then, say, started something, and you, but they've potentially dipped their toes into a lot of different things. Maybe it's the time to sort of consolidate a little bit and, and you know, get back to basics in terms of what you're doing there as well. And then ultimately, I think it's just, yeah, reviewing your your situation and, you know, and is there any way that I can sort of tip a little bit more into investing or pay down a little bit more debt? Um, so not just things you can do immediately, but yeah, keeping that eye on sort of that five, 10 year sort of time horizon as well. You know, how am I tracking towards those sorts of things? So just a good time, I think, of a good time of year to really just, yeah, do a little bit of self-reflection, um, any ways that you can sort of approve it, make a few more efficiencies or tipping a little bit more to investing, I think is always always a good thing and, and always going to help you out um, long-term as well. Love it, mate. It's um, it's great. So try and start something, use the time and just pick one thing, even if it's um, that traction that you get from the first thing gives you so much confidence to go and do the second, third, fourth and fifth. Uh, well, this has been great, mate. It's always a pleasure. Alex, like Everest, um, mate, I'm so appreciative of you helping the community out and doing what you do. So thanks for taking the time to, to join us today. Thanks, mate. Really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast. We hope you learned something new and were able to take one thing away from this episode. If you're keen to learn more, head on over to Rask Education and take one of our free money and investing courses. You could even become a Rask Core member for less than your Netflix subscription each month. And don't forget to subscribe for new episodes in your inbox every week. Plus, if you enjoyed the show, we'd love you to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and send any questions our way via the link in the description. And before we go on, did this podcast contain personal financial advice just for me? Absolutely not, Kate. Our podcast actually contains general financial information only. What that means is the information does not take into account your financial needs, goals, objectives, or even your situation. So because of that, it's important that you consider if the information is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on it. If that all sounds a bit confusing or you're still working out what your needs are, it's a great idea to consult a licensed and trusted financial planner. And don't forget to do your own research. Are you thinking about starting your wealth creating journey, but not sure where to put your hard earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no-obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, 
designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says Invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.